Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Antje Bart and Chris Fregley. Antje is a senior developer advocate at AWS, and Chris is a principal developer advocate at AWS. Antje and Chris, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Thanks so much, Sam. It's great Thanks, to, Sam. to be here. I am really looking forward to digging into our conversation. I've known the two of you for quite some time now. I'd say, uh, let's put it like this, before Anchia's hair was blue and before Chris was wearing button-down shirts. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Indeed. And, uh, you know, in fact, we'll talk a little bit about the work that you have both done kind of building communities around data science. But to maybe get us there, I'd love to have both of you walk us through a little bit of your backgrounds and, and bios and just how you came to, to work in ML. Antje, want to get us started? Sure, happy to. So, yeah, I had a quite traditional start. So I studied computer science here in Germany, actually at the University of Tübingen. And after that, I really got excited to start right away in the tech industry. I joined Cisco, worked uh, many years in the data center space. And then the next big thing that I always was interested in is data. So I also worked a couple of years in the big data space at MapR. And you know how it goes, right? I mean, the technology innovation keeps going. And after big data, I really got super, super interested in learning more about data science, AI, and machine learning. So I started to do more talks in that space, to take courses, to um, build fun demos and, and got excited. And then um, I joined AWS as a developer advocate for Iron Machine Learning. And I'm super excited right now in this role to be able to help developers build on AWS and show them how they can use the, the services and also enjoy writing books. Nice, nice. Chris, how about you? Yeah, similar type of thing. I moved to the Bay Area about 10 years ago and started working for Netflix. And they do so much machine learning, so much AI for, you know, recommendations and even, you know, some of the script writing and script analysis and really caught the bug there, caught the machine learning bug there. And then moved on to Databricks to really scale out and learn all of the depth and breadth of Apache Spark. And then the two came together. And so coming from Netflix, where we used AWS very, very heavily from day one, my first day, I, I spun up uh, like EC2 instance. I actually deployed some code. It was super right, like fun to do that. And then I've kind of come full circle almost. And now that I'm working for AWS and I'm specifically focused on big data, AI, and machine learning. So that's why I'm here. That's awesome. And I think you are one of the first people that I knew that was out kind of evangelizing Kubernetes for ML and AI. That's right. You had a course. I think both you and Anche were working on the, the That's course right. together. Talk about some of that work that you have done, the community building and the, the courses. You have a had or have a meetup that you have hosted yeah. for quite some time in SF. Yeah, exactly. So Right after Databricks, I actually started what was back then the advanced TensorFlow and Spark meetup. So TensorFlow had just hit the scene. It was 2016. And I focused on the advanced part of it because there were plenty of Spark meetups. There were plenty of TensorFlow meetups. 
But I would go to lots of these meetups and I would come away not really knowing anything more than I could have gotten, for example, from just simple documentation. So because I had so much Spark knowledge, I actually set up, I think the first, I think eight or nine meetups was just me speaking. And because, right, like no one really knew me. I didn't have that large of a network back then. So I was able to explain what was going on within Spark and each event, which like we ran monthly, we would dive into the details of this code of the TensorFlow source code itself. You know, fortunately, these projects are open source, Kubernetes open source. And so once Kubernetes came out, there was a lot of interest from my community to say, hey, how do I get Spark running on like Kubernetes? And then also, how do I scale out TensorFlow? And then eventually Kubeflow came out and we sort of pivoted to that. And now that I'm with AWS, I cover all of those open source and SageMaker. And yeah, so uh, like all of those technologies, PyTorch, TensorFlow. And Antje, you cover the same set of technologies? Yeah, exactly. And it's actually fun. So in parallel to Chris' efforts, I was also starting to build up the community here across Europe. And while I was working in the big data space, it also started to containerize big data workloads, right? So I was also being invited to give presentations and talks at events, conferences, to talk about how to containerize big data environments. So I was also starting to get into the Kubernetes and cloud-native ecosystem. And yeah, and from there, it was literally a few more steps and then into the machine learning space. And yeah, Chris and I have been developing a couple of workshops and courses to help developers really grasp the uh, the idea and the technology, how to be successful um, working with those open source technologies, but also now in the role at AWS, um, how to successfully build with the services and sometimes even in combination, right, to leverage both the innovation of the cloud, but also maybe some exciting open source technologies. Nice. And are your your roles primarily working one-to-many with producing materials like workshops and courses, or do you work with individual customers? What's the specific, or what are the specific focus areas of the role? Yeah, I think primarily we are community-focused. Yes, obviously, AWS is very, very customer-focused. And so we do get lots of requests to work with specific customers. We're super happy to do that. Fortunately, we can reuse the same workshop. And so that's even better because we can present something that's uh, like totally open to both the customer internally for their training or just uh, sort of educational needs, but then they can also go away with it and, and share it with the rest of the group or their friends at like other companies. So yeah, it's a mix of both. Our sort of primary goal is reach and spreading this knowledge and right, like really diving deep into these things. That's why Ancha and I really focus on sort of end-to-end type use cases where we're not really focused on a single product or a single service or a single open source tool. We show how to use them all together and then provide different options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we've been talking kind of generally about workshops and you've been doing a end-to-end ML workshop for quite some time. But recently, in fact, what was this yesterday? At the ML Summit, you announced your latest effort. Anja, do you want to do the, the grand unveil? Sure, I'm happy to. So yeah, we've been working for a lot of different um, formats. So we've been doing workshops. Um, we just recently published the book. And uh, another project Chris and I have been working on over the last couple of months, which we launched yesterday during the ML Summit keynote at AWS, is a project in collaboration with Deep Learning AI and Coursera. 
We worked on a new Coursera course, Practical Data Science, which is open for enrollments right now. And the idea was really kind of the same thing. We wanted to help democratize data science, machine learning, and give people also really this hands-on part, right? Both Chris and I are very passionate when we develop content to make it really a hands-on experience. So developers and builders can really work with the tools and get this learning right away. So this is a three-course, 10-week specialization through Deep Learning AI. And we're going to show the learners really kind of how to get started the easy way, that is doing exploratory data analysis, and then also how to analyze the data for statistical imbalances and to leverage also automated machine learning. And this is kind of the first course, the easy start. And then we kind of build up a little bit the knowledge and the depth. So in the second course, we're diving deeper into um, building your custom models. So for example, running the feature engineering, uh, model training, tuning, and also um, starting building your pipelines. And then the third course, which is about to be released soon, will then talk about and show the advanced concepts of model training, distributed training, advanced model deployment strategies, monitoring, and then also wrapping it up with how to build human-in-the-loop pipelines. And we're super excited for this course and also hope there's a lot of interest out there. Awesome. And Chris, who's the target audience for it? Is it someone who's just getting started or someone who's more advanced on their journey with building these pipelines? Yeah, the specialization, the prereqs, really people who have been doing maybe local machine learning, right? Like local exploratory data analytics on their laptop and now have reached a point where they need to scale out or they are starting to collect more and more data that either can't fit on their laptop or their shared right, like development server, and now they need to scale it out to the cloud. So really, it is designed to show the benefits of doing machine learning in the cloud. And of course, there's a heavy focus on SageMaker Pipelines, which was released December 2020 reInvent. We cover all the latest features up till now. And yeah, so really, it's really sort of emphasizing scale and then MLOps automation. And what you'll find is if you're doing your own pipelines, there's quite a lot of Python scripts and bash scripts and a lot of things. And so the ability to really centralize that and to like integrate with the experiments part of SageMaker as well, all those pieces come together, lineage tracking, artifact tracking. And so that's really what it's for is people wanting to sort of leave the laptop or leave the sort of local environment. Nice. I'd love to hear from both of you a bit on just how your perspective went into the course. Are there specific things that you can think of or point to that were like hard-won lessons out in the field that you're trying to give people a head start on by building them into the course? Does anything like that come to mind? Yeah, so I think a personal learning was it's quite different to develop like a, a massive online course compared <laughs> to, you know, just running a workshop for developers. So that was a personal learning for me, but really exciting. Same with writing a book. It's just those experiences that you tap into and learn how to do things in a completely different way. I think for all the learners and, and machine learning practitioners out there, we really wanted to give them perspectives on the different ways to achieve the same goal. So what we're doing, for example, is we picked a use case, natural language processing and classifying product reviews, for example, into sentiment classes. And we've seen a lot of interest for our communities in natural language processing in particular. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go for that use case and sticking to the same use case and then showing them how they can 
use the different tools. It doesn't always have to be the most complicated, custom, developed and trained model, right? Sometimes if it's a problem you're trying to solve that has already been solved, there's probably easier ways you could use a a pre-trained model, for example, than just fine-tune it or even use pre-built algorithms, right, to do it. And our goal was to really show the different options so people can build up this intuition how easy it can be to do AI and ML these days. And then also, if you need to customize and go deeper and build your custom code, that there's also tooling available that helps you perform the task. So that was a little bit on what we hope to get across and which was also fun in building the content to see how easy it is sometimes to achieve what you're trying to build. Nice. Yeah, I learned, I sort of have a new appreciation for these MOOCs, right? The massive online courses. I had actually built one back at Databricks. I was part of that effort. And I remember thinking back then that we completely underestimated how much time these things take, right? And (laughs) so working with someone like Deep Learning, by the way, they completely raised the bar on the sort of overarching from course one to course two to course three and making sure that it's coherent and and trying to make the slides and the script and the videos and the labs all coherent and down to, we had cases where some of our slides actually gave the solution that was being used in the lab. And so just all these little details have to be worked out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually had two other people that were solution architects with AWS still there, of course, that were part of the launch. And so coordinating across just four of us, but then also a few curriculum developers on the deep learning AI side, and some of the folks, the like alpha testers, beta testers from Coursera, it's a massive effort. And if you ever do decide to do one and want to do it with very high quality, it takes a lot longer. I'd say probably three to four times longer than you might think. Oh, wow. Wow. We mentioned the book a few times as well. Chris, can you talk us through the book and how that came about and the relationship between the course and the book and some of the other things you're doing? Yeah, we call it the flywheel content strategy. So we basically started with a GitHub repo. Yeah, Ancha and I were really trying to sort of start off with an end-to-end example. We then got the book deal. So I've been trying to get a book deal with O'Reilly for about seven years, right? And (laughs) yeah, finally got it. Yeah, so thanks to Ancha, right? And one thing that was really interesting about the book proposal process I found was it's very similar to a startup and to pitching your startup, right? Because keep in mind that when you approach a publisher, they're basically the investor. And so they're actually putting up money because they have to pay for the editors and the figure drawers and all that. So they make the investment and then we're the founders or the uh, like co-authors. And so fortunately, I had just had a startup right like before joining AWS. So I had already gone through the pitch process and fundraising process. And I literally used the 13 slide deck uh, like template (laughs) and converted that into our proposal. Yeah. So it had total addressable market, which we had to look at SageMaker users and projected users and AI ML in general. We had to look at like competitors, which in this case was competing books that were, were either written recently or being written that we knew about. We had to talk about us, the founders slash like co-authors, you know, our backgrounds. So So what is that competitive positioning of this book versus the others that are available out there? There are a lot of books on data science and AI out there. Sure. 
So yeah, we, and, and we thought a lot about, right? So, so where does, does the book fit in and, and where do we want it to fit in? And what Chris mentioned is we wanted to show practitioners really this end-to-end approach, right? There, there's a lot of books that focus maybe on a specific implementation, a specific use case, a specific tool. And we wanted to give the ML practitioners kind of this end-to-end guidance, um, really starting with discussions about in, in general, which is more about use cases, how data science, AI could maybe spark innovation in, in companies, sharing a couple of the use cases we see across the industry. And then where we're diving into this, how to get started, right? And again, kind of the easy way, maybe using available AI services that you can literally just with a, with an API call integrate in your applications. And then, but if you need to build something custom, walking everyone through the individual steps. So we're starting with a discussion, how to get the data into your environment, right? Into the AWS cloud in this example, and how to build maybe a data lake. What are the considerations? And then how to explore the data, prepare the data, and really this this end-to-end approach. And we didn't really stop with deploying the model or building the pipelines. So we also decided to add another chapter specifically on how to work with streaming data. We got a lot of feedback from the developers in our communities, always asking us in the workshops, um, how do I do this with streaming data, right? Real-time data coming into my systems. What do I have to keep in mind there? So we decided to actually add another chapter on this And then obviously we all have to build secure applications. So we also decided to add another chapter on how to build secure data science projects. So I think back to your point, what sets this book apart is really this end-to-end approach to showing how to get started, discussing ideas, use cases, and then going into the how-to and also discussing the concepts, right? So it's not just important to know how to, to work with the tools, but obviously to give an understanding of the overall concepts. For example, in the feature engineering section, we also talk about the idea of a feature store, which maybe some people haven't heard of yet or thought about implementing yet. And then also as we evolve through the individual chapters, we talk about those great new concepts that are available and then show the practitioners how they can actually use the tools and implement them. Nice. And is the scenario that you discuss in the book the same NLP scenario that you discuss in the course? Yeah, it's similar. We use a different data set and we use a slightly different NLP task and we use a different variant of BERT, I think, too, right? Don't you? Yeah. Correct. And we use PyTorch instead of TensorFlow. So there's plenty of differences. To If you have both, that will cover quite a lot of ground. We don't cover streaming in the MOOC. So there's some differences there. We were able to go deeper with 500 pages. You can go pretty deep in a book. Yes, versus just 10 weeks. But yeah, I should also mention too that we actually ran a survey while we were writing the book. This is something else that like me and Ancha decided to do because AWS is very customer focused. We actually wanted to hear from customers. What would you want to see in a book called Data Science on AWS? Mm-hmm. And we had six or seven questions, and it was everything from which technologies, which AI frameworks, do you uh, like TensorFlow, PyTorch, MXNet, to streaming, do you want use cases, which type of use cases, do you want recommendations, do you want time series? And that like literally drove our outline. And so the original proposal, actually, that we gave to the O'Reilly folks changed quite a bit. And yeah, so they were great working with us trying to slot it in, but there's uh, chapter two is like all about use cases. And that came directly from the community, right? They said, okay, that's great that you're doing this like NLP use case, 
but I want to learn more about computer vision. I want to learn more about recommendations. And so there's a whole chapter dedicated to all those top uh, like use cases. Uh, so for the main scenario, talk us through a little bit more of the details there. Like what is the data set? What is the process that you're using, the, the models that you're working with? Sure. So for the book, we decided as a framework to go with TensorFlow. And for the NLP use case, um, we use the product reviews data set to classify into, into rating classes. And what we decided also is showing the practitioners different ways, as I mentioned before. So we're using tools like automated machine learning to give practitioners like a way to get an easy start and show them you can just provide the data set and automated machine learning will run analysis on the data, decide for framework and the model to use, train the model, tune the model, and then send you the, the best model candidates right away. So we found that is really, really interesting to see how to use those technologies. And then we're walking everyone through the custom step-by-step process. And for the custom model building, we actually decided to also um, include Hugging Face. Hugging Face is a very popular open source NLP library, specifically built around the transformer-based models. And this was actually one of the feedbacks also coming from the community on being interested in, in the NLP space. And then we decided to use um, a variant of the BERT model. And in the book, we're using the distilled BERT, the variant um, that is optimized on distilled. And we're showing everyone how to start working with that pre-trained model, also to, to show them how powerful this is in the meantime. And then we fine-tune it to our data set. We also talk them, obviously, through the whole feature engineering process, how to create BERT embeddings. So you will also learn quite a lot background on NLP models, BERT specifically, how that got to the popularity in the industry, really, with the attention mechanisms, and then show how to prepare the data around the feature engineering, create the embeddings, then fine-tune it. We also show people how they can profile the model training in that process. So that's another exciting new concept and tooling that is available where you are able to monitor and profile while the training job is running and see how the underlying resources are utilized. For example, if you're running into any bottlenecks, it might be CPU bottlenecks or GPU bottlenecks. And this can help you right to, to right-size your infrastructure as well, specifically in the training process. And also you can capture tensors during the model training and do further analysis. You could visualize, for example, the attention that is building up through the model and then optimizing. So we're showing hyperparameter tuning, how to optimize the model, tune the model. And then also we discuss a couple of different deployment strategies in the book. And yeah, this is one of my favorite ones. So Chris worked on the multi-arm bandit strategy. And I'm always excited every time I hear a talk about multi-arm bandits, I always learn something new. So um, that's a really exciting topic, I think, personally. And then we wrap it up in the pipeline section where we show how to orchestrate all of those individual steps and help to implement automation, whether it's GitOps automation or other techniques. Nice. Chris, can you talk a little bit about that multi-arm bandit piece as well as the MLOps chapter in the book? Yeah. So chapter nine was all about deployments and we cover A-B tests, cover multi-arm bandits. So yeah, the ability to dynamically shift traffic 
And so there's a reference architecture that is proposed in the book that is used by customers. There's a blog post on this as well, where we're using DynamoDB, very, very lightweight to sort of track the bandit experiment results. And so as we're shifting traffic, we are figuring out which model is performing better live. That data is also being streamed with Kinesis. And yes, all these pieces can be replaced with Kafka, managed Kafka, anything but a nice, simple, clean uh, like architecture to do these uh, multi-arm bandit tests. The use case there was we had a BERT model that was trained one way to predict the class or the uh, like multi-class classification mm-hmm. um, if the review was positive, neutral, negative, something like that. And then we used different hyperparameters for a slightly different model for the same use case and sort of pin them up against each other. And why you'd want to use multi-arm bandits, of course, is you don't want to slot everybody into the uh, like A bucket. And so you'll find the sort of early winner. And then if that one's winning, you can send more traffic to that model variant. But you're still exploring other options, right? Like other Mm -hmm. models. And just in case there is a variant that is better than the like early variants, we can actually continue to explore. And then if suddenly B is better, then we could shift traffic over to B. So it's sort of an optimization for your A-B test that uh, minimizes any negative aspects of this overall test that you're doing in live production. Nice. You've mentioned a lot of technologies, a lot of AWS services. I've seen some of the architecture diagrams associated with your previous workshop, and you've got a lot of those services involved that you're orchestrating to build out one of these end-to-end pipelines. I'm wondering, how do you recommend that folks manage the complexity that comes with building real-world projects and all of the different parts that you might want to use? Anything in particular that you've learned about doing that? So what I always recommend people is to think about what's the easiest way to achieve the goal, right? And Mm -hmm. at AWS, we we believe um, to let builders decide the right tool for the right job, right? So depending on really your use case, your experience, you might go one path or the other. And I would recommend always using the easiest one, right? So as I explained earlier, If you're working on a problem that has been solved before, you might just need to translate language, right, from maybe English to German, um, to Spanish. There are services available and models built that can do this. So the easiest way is maybe to look at, is is there an AI service that I can literally embed into my application with an API call? Then I would definitely recommend starting there. If you need to build a little bit more custom models and you need a little bit more freedom, then I would definitely recommend looking at the Amazon SageMaker family of services and functionalities. So there have been a lot of additions to this managed service that is giving you basically the tools to build, to train, and to deploy models easily. And at the same time, it's um, taking care of the infrastructure for you. So it does the heavy lifting of of managing individual instances, right? So you can really focus on, on your tasks to build models, to train the models, and to deploy them. And then um, for all of the expert practitioners that really want to build um, neural networks themselves and have all of the the freedom and flexibility, there's a lot of options also available on an infrastructure and framework basis. Um, They could pick and choose, you know, maybe the latest GPU instances if they need CPU architectures, and then start building 
as they need. But again, depending on your use case and experience, always start looking for the easiest way to achieve it because um, you want to focus on the business problem and normally less on spending hours of hours of training a model, right? And as you go and customize, you can leverage additional services and additional tooling that is available. Awesome. Anything you'd add to that, Chris? Yeah, Sam, we work with a lot of customers and more recently, so back to the sort of A-B testing, multi-arm bandit testing, putting out one model, two models, if you don't have a good automation strategy in place, that actually takes quite a while. And what you want to get to is the ability to try out many models, like hundreds of models, right? So typically we see people go from one single model to two, and that's a big step, and then two to five. And what we're really trying to get people to try out is five to 10 and then 10 to 100. And mm-hmm. people have enough variations, you know, for example, geo uh, variations for your recommendations or different product categories will have different models. And so right now, people seem to be limited by the ability to get these models out there in an automated way and to auto scale and shift traffic dynamically. So seeing more and more models going out per customer is super exciting to us. We love that. And then seeing all of this automated and all the experiments being tracked. And I think I hear you saying that one of the things that you do is encourage customers to build multiple models because it's kind of a forcing function to building that automation that will, it's kind of a a virtuous loop or cycle or something like that. It kind of forces them to build automation that will allow them to build more models. Right. Because it's often not easy to, or to uh, value that uh, like automation when you just have one or two, which is why getting to five is kind of a big deal. And then, you Mm -hmm. know, trying to get from five to 50 and 50 to 500. So trying to make that investment, which is something we've been trying to do with SageMaker Pipelines, making that that like investment much smaller, much easier, taking uh, the exact same scripts that you're using, Python scripts, C scripts, uh, scikit-learn, uh, TensorFlow, PyTorch, whatever, and then getting those into production quickly. Oftentimes, it's difficult to just evaluate the model in the research lab or on a single sort of enclosed environment. So like one thing we did at Netflix quite a bit was push these models into production live. And that was our platform for experimentation was actually on live traffic because you could do all the experimentation with like historical data and get really, really close, but not until that model's in production and you can look at the prediction latencies and, you know, real, real live traffic as data is changing, right? Because the world's always changing. So the ability to just keep putting out new models and trying different experiments is very, very powerful. Nice, nice. We've also mentioned the ML Summit recently. It was just yesterday as we're recording this. The videos will be available. I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for folks that are hearing this and want to dig in a little bit deeper into the Summit content. Yeah, I don't want to play favorites, right? <laughs> we had an we had an action-packed agenda yesterday. So we had a, a track dedicated to the science of machine learning that is super, super interesting with a lot of uh, very bright and smart people um, presenting on, on the different um, research science topics. And we also had a track that is focused more on how machine learning is done. And actually, a couple of our colleagues also presented there. So if people want to learn more, what I mentioned earlier, how to, for example, profile and debug your models, there was a great talk um, going into details how 
You can achieve this um, with SageMaker Debugger, for example. And we also um, had a, a talk around NLP specifically, so how to accelerate NLP training with SageMaker. And yeah, those are, I think, the topics that I found very interesting. And then again, also the research track, I think, had a lot of, lot of great insight. And yeah. Yeah, I, I'm trying to learn more and more about football, the soccer version of football. So there was a good talk on uh, Bundesliga. So I pay very close attention oh. to like the NFL uh, talks because that, that's what I grew up with. But trying to keep an open mind, trying to be global, trying to learn why everyone likes soccer. Still still haven't quite gotten there yet. Still need to figure out what the value prop of uh, soccer is. But And then my favorite track actually is called the How Machine Learning is Done. So to me, this was a more on the, the like practical side. So talking about Jupyter Notebooks and SageMaker Studio and some of the advancements happening there. Um, trying to choose the right algorithm for your use case. There's a really good talk about automated model tuning. And also one of our colleagues has this really good talk about computer vision and how to visualize what's happening and the attention that's happening and the convolutional characteristics and which kernels are being learned. And so using SageMaker Debugger uh, in more of a visual way, you know, versus just looking at the actual GPU metrics and Yes, I should also mention too, SageMaker Debugger has this new feature that is used for profiling. And so this falls under the uh, like debugger service, but it's a feature that does really make recommendations and say, we think you should use a smaller instance type, right? And like this blows my mind, right? That we AWS would be suggesting to use a smaller instance, right? And really earns a lot of trust, I think, with our customers when you see those kind of recommendations or saying that you are using too big of a GPU, either, yes, increase batch size, maybe change the algorithm, make some small adjustments because you're not fully utilizing the hardware that you've chosen. So yeah, really good talks. Nice, nice. Maybe kind of taking a step back from the, the books and the courses and the conference and all that stuff and thinking a little bit more broadly about kind of what you're seeing in the space with the customers you're working with and the communities you're involved in. I'm really curious, like just what you're finding most interesting and exciting and where you think things are headed. Definitely. Yeah. So I think um, I see two really exciting areas right now. So one is definitely the whole orchestration and automation piece. So how can I get from manually training, tuning, deploying the models to this more of an MLOps strategy, orchestration strategy, automation? I think that's a very exciting field where many companies will, will build their solutions. And the other area I think is also super exciting is how to make AI and ML even more accessible. And with that, I mean, through end-to-end -end solutions, right? So, I mean, I'm a person, I always get excited when there's a new tool, I want to try out the tool. <laughs> but ultimately, we need to solve our businesses' use cases. And I think with AI services and ML services that are more targeted at a solution, like for example, AWS launched the new industrial machine learning services that are helping customers to implement, let's say, predictive maintenance as a solution, right? Instead of um, you have to go and train your individual model to recognize maybe product defects. 
And I think as, as AI and data science evolves over the next years, there will be more and more um, of those solutions hopefully coming and helping customers to even have a faster start to implement their own business use cases. So I'm super excited to see how that space evolves over the next years. Yeah, I like the hardware aspects with Lookout and I think it's called Monotron, some of the industrial stuff like you mentioned. We cover some of that in the book that came from the community. Other areas I've been looking at just more on the massive scale and just being able to point something to your data. And, you know, this is something I really like about Autopilot, our auto ML solution. You could really derive quite a lot and get pretty far, right, by just pointing to your data. So seeing some of that working closer with uh, like natural language data and some of the pre-trained models for computer vision, just really not even thinking about like machine learning much anymore. Just like we don't really think much when we're building microservices, there's like tons of frameworks and very, very easy to do these days, you know, versus 10 years ago at like Netflix, 20 years ago at at, like Amazon, right? Like 20, 25 years ago. So really just these things being, if you think of it like a drag and drop kind of widget or just like a right click and add uh, recommendations here kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Ancha and Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to share a bit about what you're up to. You've both been really busy. (laughs) I'm looking forward to checking out the course and the book in more detail, but thanks so much for jumping on and sharing. Awesome. Thanks so much for having us, Sam. It's really a pleasure. Yeah, this has been a a, a lifelong dream for me was to be on this podcast. (laughs) And yeah, there is a signed book uh, that will be, I think it's going to arrive today. So. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.